0: revelation 17 quick question first of all tonight we're going to be talking about religion so you go well yeah we're in church that would be a typical topic but <clears throat> specifically I'll ask you this and this is rhetorical do you do you are you a religious person good answer the answer to that was no in case you didn't hear that do you consider yourself a religious person? I remember, um, you know, as a young man in the Navy, you know, it's kind of when I got out in the world and uh, I used the Navy to help me do that and uh, seeing the world and, and all that, but exposed to a bunch of different people. And uh, they come from different backgrounds and we kind of all just like melded into this place called Birthing, which was where we lived on the ship. And, um, you know, many conversations come up, but you learn a lot about each other, your fellow shipmates. And um, of course, you know, I'm trying to share the gospel, trying to be an example. It wasn't always the best. Um, a lot of things I wish we could I could take back. I'm sure you feel the same. But, you know, one of the things that I did experience was that, you know, uh, I would hear this all the time, like, oh yeah, yeah, he's uh, drowned, he's, he's religious. Um, or hey, John, you're religious. What do you think about? And I, oh, I'd get so offended. I would get so mad. I'm like, I'm not religious. It's not religion. It's a relationship. You know. And uh, it's like, who's what's wrong with that guy back there? Like he needs to work on that relationship. Apparently. But I wanted them to understand what you and I understand is that it is a relationship. It's not religion. We the world sees us and they go, oh, they're religious. Well, because we go to church religiously. We pray religiously. We read our Bible religiously. We talk about Jesus religiously. And it's like that's where the label that we get. And what I've learned over time as I've matured is this. I don't get offended anymore. Because I understand what the world means when they say that. I almost kind of take it as a compliment because they look at it and go, okay, well, yeah, that's religion, and he believes in all that, so he's religious. And, hey, Drown, you're religious. I go, okay, (laughs) how can I help you? And, And it's just I don't get offended anymore like I used to because I understand what the world means. They are labeling me what they see and what they understand. And so the Lord has grown me in those areas and perhaps you as well. Religion is, by the very definition, binding, because it's about rules and regulations. And it's basically not God reaching down to man, which we believe. It's man finding ways to reach up to God. And uh, in that process, there's a lot of works that need to be done by man to find himself worthy. And we understand you and I as believers, we're not worthy. We never were, we never will be. It's just that God's grace and mercy allowed us to even come to the realization that we need a savior. And we realized that we're sinners. We needed a savior. We, we recognized Jesus is that savior and we accepted him into our lives and we understood and believed what he did on the cross. Uh, even though we'll never fully understand the impact of the cross, I believe in this life to its full extent until I believe we're in heaven. But we do kinda look through that glass darkly or dimly and we get the idea enough to where God's mercy, even in that, in our limited abilities, he still uh, sees that and recognize that and accepts that and we uh, have him as our savior and we believe that. And so, uh, don't know if that made a whole lot of sense but I think you guys know where I'm coming from We don't look at ourselves as religious, but we do have that personal relationship with the Lord, with Jesus, with God the Father. And through prayer and and all of these things, through his word, uh, we develop that. And so the world sees us in our dedication to that. Um, And they see a person who is trying to live a clean and pure, wholesome life in righteousness to the best of our ability, uh, and they say, oh, you're religious. And you know what? That, that's okay. But you and I understand uh, the, the difference there. Why am I bringing all this up? Well, because chapter 17 of Revelation, we will learn about the uh, false religion that will be put into place. We understand, we remember we talked about the Antichrist. And then we also talked about the false prophet. And that false prophet's job is to basically orchestrate or derive that false religion that will ultimately lead to uh, the Antichrist being worshiped. But chapter 17 takes a closer look at that particular um, idea of this false religion. It's actually described to us as the harlot or the great prostitute and we would normally go, we don't talk like that in church, wash your mouth out. But when it comes up in the Bible, that's exactly why it's referenced, and tonight we're going to look at uh, why it would be compared to that, and where did that actually come from. So, chapter 17, I'll get there myself. You remember John is the author here, The well, the writer, I should say. God's the author, but John is pinning all of these words, and remember what's going on in that day. The church uh, is under great persecution, and there's a lot of things that he's seeing and writing here that the recipients of this letter would totally identify with and understand because it would make sense to them in that day. Um, some of the things that we're going to see in this chapter are both historical but also Prophetic all wrapped up into one chapter. So we'll talk a little bit about that as we go along. Chapter 17, we'll start in verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. The great harlot is a personification of this false religion that will be uh, brought into existence um, in the future during the tribulation. Now, here's the good news. You and I, the believers, the church, those of us who have what I explained earlier, uh, have accepted Christ into our heart to be our personal savior, you and I are gone at this time. We're in heaven, and God has Jesus has come, and He's rescued us. It's the that time of the rapture. We're up with Him in heaven, and we are rejoicing. But down on on earth, down here on earth, what's going on is the religious system is still very well intact, and it's going to be utilized in uh, very gruesome ways, especially to those tribulation saints. Remember, there's going to be one of the greatest revivals, in fact, the greatest revival in all history and all time will happen during the tribulation time, and we've discussed that in great detail. So there will be those who um, are left behind, but they do come to know the truth. And they do become Christians and they do get saved. Those are known as the tribulation saints. So we'll get into a little bit further discussion as we move further into uh, the chapter. But it says here that this harlot, this great harlot who sits on many waters, you you might remember a few chapters prior where we talked about the beast. John saw a beast and the beast came out of what? The sea. Anytime you see that reference, uh, the seas or great waters, what it's talking about is the nations, the multitudes, the tongues, the peoples, the nations, right? And so what is being talked about here is that this is going to be a global um, allegiance, if you will, or partaking of this false religion by all leaders, politicians, kings, and so forth. Verse 2 With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names and blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Backing up just a little bit, again, back to... Why is this false religion identified to us in Scripture as a harlot or a prostitute? Why would that be? Well, we get the original text back from the Old Testament. If you want to turn back with me to Ezekiel, turn back and let's read together Ezekiel chapter 16. God utilized that word as a description of how he felt when his people turned their back on him and went after other gods. It's a very descriptive um, image, if you will, or name of all things to call someone, right? That's the description given, but that is how God feels. Think about that. The picture of God's people who he has delivered over and over and over again, but that they would turn their back on him as if to say, God, you don't do it for me anymore. I'm going after someone who does. is the same picture in God's economy as a spouse who turns their back on their spouse and their marriage vows and goes after someone else and adultery. That is how God sees that. And then you compare that to what our text is tonight. But look here in chapter 16 of Ezekiel. We'll start there in verse 35, and we'll read about uh, nine verses here. Now then, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your filthiness was poured out and your nakedness uncovered, in your harlotry, with your lovers, and with all of your abominable idols, and because of the blood of your children which you gave to them. Surely, therefore, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those you loved and all those you hated. I will gather them from all around against you and will uncover your nakedness to them, that they may see all your nakedness. And I will judge you as a woman who breaks wedlock or shed blood, or shed blood are judged. I will bring blood upon you in fury and jealousy. I will also give you into their hand and they shall throw down your shrines and break down your high places. They shall also strip you of your clothes, take your beautiful jewelry, and leave you naked and bare. They shall also bring up an assembly against you, and they shall stone you with stones and thrust you through with their swords. They shall burn your houses with fire and execute judgments on you in the sight of many women, and I will make you, co- I will make you cease playing the harlot, and you shall no longer hire lovers. So I will lay to rest my fury toward you, and my jealousy shall depart from you, I will be quiet and be angry no more because you did not remember the days of your youth but agitated me with all these things. Surely I will also recompense your deeds on your own head, says the Lord God, and you shall not commit lewdness in in addition to all your abominations. That is graphic literature, but it shows the heart of the Lord when when his people would turn their backs on him and seek after another God or another entity and get involved in the abominable things that went along with those pagan cultures and those pagan uh, shrines and worship uh, areas. Um, This is no joke in God's economy. So it's not a surprise that when we go back to our text in Revelation 17 that This false religion or this false religious system is sort of personified or identified as a harlot. And that is sort of where this idea comes from. Now let's look at verse three again. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns. Now, there's a slight bit of information that I want to point out here in this verse. It says, so he carried me away in the spirit into the world, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. So this is in reference to... Uh, the Antichrist, the beast that we're talking about here. But notice the woman is sitting on the beast. In other words, it would be if a a mental picture, the woman sitting on the beast, it would almost be such that perhaps the woman is in control of the beast. So think about that with me for just a moment, kind of tuck that away because we're going to see a little bit of a variance here in a few moments. But be that as it may, she's sitting on this scarlet beast. The beast, of course, we know is the Antichrist. And uh, John is seeing this and writing this down. It says here, having seven heads and 10 horns. We remember, we've talked about the seven and what that represents. The seven heads, um, you know, these would have been uh, kings uh, in the past. And so I have them listed here. Um, Rome was in uh, charge or in command during this time. Is Specifically, Domitian was an emperor that was ruling at the time that John was pinning this. But there were seven kings uh, before him. So a total of seven emperors in the Roman Empire. So one would be Julius Caesar. We've heard that name uh, before. Uh, Caesar Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, Caesar Nero, and of course, Domitian, and he was the one that was in power at the time. It says here in the verse three having seven heads, and ten horns, also that's indicative of it, re, it takes us back to the book of Daniel, the ten horns or that ten nation confederacy that will be uh, derived out of a revived Roman Empire. Verse four the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. She's arrayed in purple and scarlet. She's wearing gold. She has pearls. This is stuff that's very expensive. So it indicates to us that somehow, some way, this is a very uh, lucrative or prosperous system uh, in this false religion that they have going on. However that is, it's very powerful and very lucrative, it seems. So we'll see in this chapter, I'll just point this out as well. Chapter 17, we're looking at the, um, the false religious portion. We're going to get into what uh, we're speaking about Babylon here in a moment, not to get too far ahead. But chapter 18 as well, will cover uh, portions of Babylon as well as it relates to um, politically and economically. But tonight, it's directed specifically to this false religion, this false religious system that will be in place. Verse 5, and on her forehead, a name was written, and here's here's what was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So a little brief history of Babylon. Why is it that the two cities that are mentioned the most in the Bible is Jerusalem and Babylon? Some facts there that you might have in your notes. Babylon is mentioned over 300 times in the scriptures. It was founded on the plain of Shinar by the river Euphrates, founded by a guy named Nimrod, whose name means We will rebel, and it's centered around the Tower of Babel. And you remember what that was all about, the Tower of Babel, right? We will all come together, and we will lift up, and we will rise. And as we come together as a people, uh, we will determine our destiny. That tower, that ziggurat, if you will, that was utilized to study astronomy and all of the other things— And that had to be dealt with. And we know the story, God confused their language and their tongues and that's how these people got dispersed and had to move on. But the deal is this, there is something about, we've covered this before, there's something about the spirit of Babylon and that idea of the Tower of Babel that is still lurking and it's still alive. And we're starting to see that in our world today us all coming together, walls going down, no more boundaries, no more barriers. We're all a race, the human race. We're coming together. It's all about us and I and what we will do together because literally what we're seeing in the world today is a movement of people who see themselves as God. They don't recognize a God they don't recognize one who, uh, you know, a higher power. They don't believe in that. They believe that they are that power and that they can control nature and they can believe uh, whatever they want and whatever they believe is their truth. Have you heard that statement? Well, uh, you know, my truth is this. How about this? I don't want to hear your truth. I want to hear the truth. How about that? What is that? My truth. What, what is when did that start? I'll tell you when it started. It started when we believed that we are our own God and whatever truth I say is true. And whether you believe it or not, that's irrelevant to me because I believe in my truth. And that's the spirit we're seeing in the world today. People, the globe, the nations, leadership, we're all seeing it. We wanna come together. There's that spirit of Babylon. And that is why it's so important for us when we see Babylon, we understand the history uh, that is actually stemming from that. Verse six, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. This system this false religious system will be powerful, it'll be very prosperous, but it'll be brutal as well, because the whole idea behind it, its whole agenda will be to take out the believer. And isn't that the idea was of what Satan has always tried to do all through history, is to take out Jesus, to take out the Messiah, make it so that he could not fulfill uh, prophecies, but he's always failed. But that is that agenda is alive, and it's well, and they will hunt down the believers that accept Christ during that time. This is not going to be a fun time if you're a believer. It is not going to be fun at all. It's going to be terrifying. And it says here that they actually will be martyrs. Do you remember when, can you remember a time when you would hear about beheadings and becoming a martyr for uh, a you know believing certain things in the Bible, but you would be killed for that. Do you remember how that always seemed like that would be foreign? How How in the world could a society or a world get to the point where we're chopping people's heads off for their faith and their belief? As Americans, I think we have that was very gruesome and, and you know, totally foreign to us. I think in many other countries, that wasn't so foreign to them. There's been a lot of uh, Christian persecution throughout the world for many, many years, of course. But uh, for us in America, a country that was actually founded in Christian Judeo um, beliefs, right? And exactly, and that's how we were founded. And yet, globally, this will be an issue. Globally, Christians, believers, the tribulation saints, those who accepted Christ during this time, because they've realized what's going on. The tribulation's actually doing its job for them. What's that? It woke them up. And they realized, wow, okay, <laughs> I got to get serious. I, I got to get serious about the Lord. And they've either remembered a conversation that you've had with them through witnessing. They've either picked up a Bible and read it for real this time. They've either stumbled upon YouTube and heard my teachings and made some sort of sense of it or someone else, but they're getting the message. Don't forget. Remember I told you the most amazing uh, revival in all of time. Angels flying in the in the sky saying, don't take the mark. 144,000 Billy Graham street preaching. All of these things are going to be happening and people will wake up. The tribulation will do its job. The big wake-up call for people. Some people will answer that call, and they'll realize, oh, my goodness, I need to get right. And then guess what? They're on the run, literally, quite literally, for their lives. I remember thinking to myself that very thought, how in the world would we get to a point where where they would chop people's heads off for their faith? And then we started seeing things that were going on in the Middle East during the uh, war in Afghanistan, and you realize, wow, like um, Satan, Satan's at work, and they have no problem beheading people over there. This will be going on on a mass scale at this time. Believers will be lo- literally losing their lives. It says, she's drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs. That means there's so much of it. There's so much death and so many killings of these believers that she's drunk with it. John says he marveled. Great amazement. But verse 7, the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her which has the seven heads and the ten horns. That's what I love about this. It's like we hear all of this and we read all of this graphic, illustrative literature, and we go, man, what does it all mean? The angel says, hey, I'm going to tell you. You're mystified? Let me explain it to you. And he goes through and he dissects and tells us, uh, tells John, we get to, to read it, um, what's going on here. Verse eight, he says, the beast that you saw, was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition or destruction. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. So there's a little bit of mystery there bit of mysterious language on how that operates so we'll get into it a little bit but verse 9 here is the mind which has wisdom the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits we have basically seen that verse almost verbatim in previous chapters and that is speaking of the city of seven hills where the antichrist will set up his kingdom City of Seven Hills is most widely known commonly as Rome, uh, the revived Roman Empire. But Rome specifically, if you Google that, City of Seven Hills, Rome will pop up. And so that's what we're talking about right there. So the, uh, the angel is explaining this. He says, verse 10, there are also seven kings, We talked about it just a moment ago, I kind of gave you those names, I I did jump ahead a little bit. But again, just to mention them, the seven kings or seven emperors that Rome had, Julius Caesar, Caesar Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, Caesar Nero, and Domitian, in rule at this time. So those seven were, um, were emperors or kings, Uh, throughout the history of Rome. So speaking of Rome itself, city of seven hills, the seven kings being those emperors that were in the past. Remember, again, this chapter is talking about historical events as well as prophecies, things yet to come. You and I are kind of right in the middle of that tonight. Chapter 10, or excuse me, verse 10, we kind of have to break up into categories. You have that there in your notes. Five have fallen, meaning five have fallen, past tense for John writing at that time. Five of those emperors had fallen. Julius Caesar was assassinated. Tiberius was poisoned. Caligula was stabbed. Claudius smothered and Caesar Nero committed suicide. So five had fallen. One is, that would be Domitian, because John's writing, present time during his writing, Domitian was in charge and on the throne. And the other has not yet come. Who would that be? Yeah, the Antichrist, that's right. So that's how we're getting this, this, this verse verse 10 sort of breaking down for us. So we're kind of caught in the middle of historical events that happened thousands of years ago, and then here we are, and one is yet to come, and we know that to be the Antichrist, which could be alive and well very, uh, very much so either today or even in power somewhere. Some Bible scholars and theologians believe He's probably in power somewhere now, Uh, just hasn't risen out of that sea we talked about yet. So, very interesting stuff there. Back to verse 10. One is yet to come, and when he comes, he must come, excuse me, continue a short time. And it will be a short time in comparison to uh, kings prior to him. Verse 11 The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. A little bit of trickery right there, if you will, a little bit of what does that mean kind of mentality. It could be, and some believe, and uh, this is unknown for sure, but the thought there is that he is of the seven, meaning the spirit of one of these emperors, particularly Nero, uh, because he had great persecution against the church. Uh, Numbers are even historically uh, mentioned of perhaps six million Jews that he killed. Does that ring a bell? Who else killed six million Jews? I find that interesting, you know, but Nero himself. So Would it be Nero himself resurrected? No, I believe it would be the spirit of Nero, right? Because of the mass persecution that he had against God's people. Oh, that spirit would come alive into the Antichrist. And that same persecution would be set right back in motion against the martyrs, or excuse me, against the tribulation saints who would then become martyrs themselves, And verse 12, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. So we've talked about that before. The city of Seven Hills, Rome, a revived Roman Empire, ten kings or ten nations come up with him, that, that confederation, if you will, that comes out of Rome, out of Europe, the European countries, and they get their power from the beast himself as well. They join with him. But their power lasts for a very, very short time. It says here for one hour, uh, they are kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So they have some power, and then they give it back. Why? Because they are all in. They are of one mind with the Antichrist and his agenda. Verse 14. And they will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw... Where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. See, this gets explained to us, breaks it down. The seas, the waters in which this harlot is uh, sitting on, that is a picture of the nations. This is going to be a global event. It's not isolated to one particular location. This is global And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot. Make her desolate and naked. Eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Uh, I want to just go back here. Um... I almost feel like I skipped something. Hmm. Man, you guys are quiet. I was gonna see just how long, I thought someone would sneeze. At least. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'll go back. 14. These will make war with the Lamb and will overcome them. For he is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Who's going to be with him? Me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be with him. That is so cool, you guys. This is exactly what it's thought. We're talking about this is when this is towards the end of the tribulation. And how do we know that? Well, because we're talking about the lamb. When the lamb comes back, he is coming back to set up his millennial kingdom in Jerusalem. And he's going to defeat this army that is going to be waiting for him. He's going to defeat them. But those who are with him, you and I, we're coming back with him. We are the chosen and the faithful. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are people's nations, or multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten kings which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are faithful. Or excuse me, fulfilled, and the woman whom you saw is that great city which uh, which reigns over the kings of the earth. What's going to happen? These kings and the antichrist—they will turn on the harlot. Well, what does that mean? Remember back when we talked about that that verse where the the harlot was sitting on the scarlet beast. It almost looked like she was in control or over the beast, well, it seems clear that the Antichrist will utilize this system, and he will use the harlot, but as soon as he gets enough power and authority, he'll turn on her. He'll use the religious system to push forth his agenda and to go forth and do what he wants to do, but at a certain point, guess what? The powers shift. And the Antichrist, and it says the 10 Kings too they will hate her, and they will turn on her. In other words, now it shifts from a religious thing to now I want you to worship me, and that's what the Antichrist wants. He wants to ultimately be worshiped. It's not so much about religion anymore. It's about worshiping me. That's his heart. And really what happens is, money and politics take over. And that gets us into the next chapter, uh, the second portion of Babylon. Remember we talked about, oh, how you have fallen, have fallen, Babylon. Why is have fallen said twice? Because there's sort of two uh, segments, if you will, or two portions to this idea of Babylon. Some would say, oh, Babylon's rebuilt and then destroyed. Um, It's more of like a symbol if you will it's symbolic how do we know remember the rule of thumb when looking at bible prophecy when you're studying bible prophecy you take it literally uh, as far as you can literally but when things seem to not be literal anymore, you have to look at it through symbolic eyes. And so that's kind of what we're doing. Babylon is that spirit of, in this chapter, the false religious system that the Antichrist will use as a vehicle to do his bidding. And that system somehow, some way, will identify Christians and take them out for their faith. And then they turn the Antichrist turns on uh, the harlot, or that system uses it for his own self, pointing fingers to himself, wanting worship for himself. And then uh, we move into the political slash economic Babylon, which we'll study next week in chapter 18. O Babylon, how you have fallen, have fallen! Both segments, both parts will fall. Um, It's interesting though when you see these sorts of things. In this chapter, a lot of bells go off in our minds and a lot of whistles, if you will. There's glaring similarities that we see in something, a chapter like this, to our world today and what's going on. Well, what do you mean? I mean this. Getting back to the thought and the idea of how on earth would we allow the world and our civilization to get to a point where they're killing people for their faith? But do you know, it doesn't seem like we're there very far off from that. Christians are under attack. They have been for many years in other countries, but we're really seeing it a lot, even starting to rear its ugly head even in this country. Oh, this country of the Constitution and this country of freedoms. But we're starting to see that kind of diminish. And it's happening very rapidly. And people will say, oh, you're talking about Jesus coming back. I've heard heard that for 40 years. Well, number one, that very statement is prophesied that people would say that. Number one. And number two, but when in time have you ever seen things line up the way they are so rapidly, and the things that w- people have said all these years, basically you can flip a switch and make these things happen. Now, we've talked to you, I have talked to you a lot about CBDC, the Central Bank Digital Currency, and I've, I've told you guys about that sort of stuff and how scary that is. Um, perhaps with infrastructure, they don't quite have the ability to turn the switch on to that yet, but trust me when I tell you they are working on it very actively. And they are passing that very actively. They're trying to get states to get on board and pass this in law. And we just saw this week, I did, I just saw this week, in Europe, uh, they are actually going forth a next step. And that is, uh, if anybody over there uses uh, over 1,000 euros in one purchase or one transaction, they get fined. That is the war on cash that's going on in the world today. It's not just here. The Europeans have come out. It was said uh, to last week, um, one of the department heads over there came out and made an announcement that if more than a thousand euros are used or spent, uh, they will be fined. Why? Why? Again, it gets back to that idea of control. Control. And by the time the Antichrist comes on the scene... All of these things will be completely ready to be turned on if they aren't already, and he will have control like you will not believe. It says there that he will be uh, ruling for a short time. It's a short time, but a lot of damage gets done. The amount of power he'll have over uh, and control over uh, the population is, is unbelievable. The mind can't comprehend it. Money food. It, and all of these things that we've read about for years, uh, you can't buy, sell, or trade. Well, how's that possible? It's possible with the things that we're seeing now in the world. And, you know, I, I'm spreading the word. I, I talk to all of you fine folks about this kind of stuff. I talk to people at work, and I'm amazed. People just have no idea that this stuff's happening. And It's alarming. It's alarming. It's scary. At the same time, I go back and I go, wow, Lord. It's very exciting. (laughs) It's exciting because we're seeing prophecy literally jump off the page at us. I tell people like, look, I teach at church. I go, wow. I read Fox News and I read Revelation. And it's like, wow, they should just go like that. I mean, they really are. Things are coming to life so rapidly. And that's what the Bible said would happen. These things, these events would unfold very rapidly, like a tachometer. And, you know, the more pressure you give, the faster that engine spins. And we're seeing that and we're sensing it. In fact, changes are coming so fast, we almost can't keep up on all fronts. We don't know which way to look. Because every direction we look, there's another catastrophe. And it's just the way the enemy is utilizing all things. And most of those things are all lies. And that's exactly how the enemy works. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, the truth will set you free. So we will maintain our vigilance in reading God's word and uh, staying true to him and praying to him. And, and following him, being followers of Christ and spreading the gospel and talking to as many people as we possibly can about what's going on in the world, how it relates to God's word and just letting them know, hey, you gotta be serious about your life. In other words, what have you done with Jesus? What have you done? Whoa, nothing. Well, it's time to do something. You need to accept him. You're a sinner and you need a savior. Otherwise, this stuff that we're talking about, you're going to be living through that. We won't. Why don't you join us? Amen? Join us and be with us. That way when he comes back, you're going with us. And get to avoid all of the catastrophes that will, not might, not maybe, shall come to pass. Because God's word always does. Amen.